Welcome to Propel, a podcast by Fellowship Pacific to propel you and your ministry forward in the mission God has for you. I'm your host, Jessica Powell, and in today's episode, you get to hear from three guests, Ruth McGillivray, Interim President of Northwest Seminary and College, Kyle Nichols, Lead Pastor of Princeton Baptist Church, and David Harita, Regional Director of Fellowship Pacific. They talk with Krista Penner from our leadership development team about Immerse. Now, Immerse is a competency-based MDiv program. It allows students to earn their master's while still working in their ministry context. And you're going to hear about how this innovative style of education has been so effective in training pastors who are actually equipped to apply the theology they're learning to real church situations. They're also going to share about an exciting new expansion of Immerse that will make this type of learning experience available and accessible to even more leaders, whether in the church or in the community. So let's get to it. Here's Krista's conversation with Ruth McGillivray, Kyle Nichols, and David Harita. Welcome to the Propel podcast. I'm here today with some really awesome guests. I've got Kyle Nickel from Princeton Baptist Church, Ruth McGilvery from Northwest uh, Theological Seminary or Northwest Seminary, Baptist Seminary, and our own David Harita from the Fellowship Ministry Center. Today, I'm going to be talking with them about Immerse, one of my favorite subjects, been involved with Immerse over a number of years and so excited to see the direction that it is going in our fellowship. So welcome here, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you. I want to tell our listening audience a little bit about each one of you. So we've got Kyle from Princeton. I have been uh, in uh, known Kyle, I guess, for, I don't know, a number of years now, because mm -hmm. I had the awesome privilege of taking him over the finish line as his lead mentor in Immerse. But some of the things you need to know about Kyle... Uh, Kyle is a coffee fanatic. We went up to do board training at his church and he brought his coffee, his grinder and his coffee maker from home because he was so serious about what we were doing with the coffee. But probably one of the greatest things that Kyle brings to the table is his awesome family. His great wife and kids and uh, they just have a, a, a wonderful home and his wife introduced me to the Smitten Kitchen. So I'm forever grateful to Rachel for doing that. And I now have a couple of the cookbooks and always think of being in your home, Kyle, and having that great salad that your wife made that <laughs> the roasted chickpeas in it and the grated carrots and the raisins. And it was a smitten kitchen recipe. So we're so grateful that you're here to talk about your journey in Immerse and how it has prepared you and is helping you as you pastor in Princeton. And Ruth, we are so glad that you're here. Ruth is the interim president of Northwest Baptist Seminary. She is here uh, to talk about competency-based education. She has a wide range of experience and this going back um, previous to her time even at uh, this seminary. Mm -hmm. Comes to us with that information with a master's degree in, um, I'm gonna get this right here, in learning and technology. And so we're so grateful for her as she talks to us today about what we're going to be do what we're going to be doing moving forward with Immerse and some of the things we're doing to make it even better. And David, of course, uh, for our listening audience, he doesn't really need much of an introduction. Although what you do need to know about David is that he has a weeks uh, he his weak link would be cinnamon buns. 
and anything to do with his dog, Winston. So we, we don't even know if we might even have Winston chime in today on this call. We're not really sure. But between David and I at our office, we have uh, some sort of barking four-legged animal there on any given day. So we're so grateful that all of you are here today and we're gonna just get started with talking about Immerse, the whole initiative of Immerse, what we've learned, why we keep moving forward, and what is the outcome that we are ultimately seeking for our churches. But before we even dive into that, I've got a good question for David Harita. Wanna know from each of you, like, what did you do for fun on the weekend? Kyle, we're going to start with you. What do you, what do you like to do for fun? And maybe did you engage in it on the weekend? Well, this is my weekend. So this is what I'm doing for fun right now. But uh, I have been, I'm not a lot of fun, but I started whittling recently, like an old gray bearded mountain man. So I, I sometimes whittle little figurines for, I have nieces and nephews that are turning one. So do that. Well, that's kind of fun. You're always doing something new and different. That I do know about you. And I, I would imagine that you're still like renovating your house. That's also true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of figured that. Well, that's great. Okay, Ruth, what do you, what do, you do for fun? Uh, for fun, I uh, bake a lot of cinnamon buns. No, I'm just kidding, David. I'm, uh, I'm a blues singer. That's what I do for fun. That's do awesome. some, Ruth. <laughs> I might blow out your microphone. <laughs> That's great. And David, tell us what it is you do for fun. I can almost guess. I can almost guess. So I'm going to let you, I'm going to see if I'm right. Okay. You go ahead and tell us. I'll tell you if I think, if I was right. That doesn't test you at all. That's not. I uh, know, but I'm just, I'm in charge of this. I'm in charge of this whole Fine. thing. So I'm just well, playing by my own. This weekend, um, I, when I wasn't in meetings, I had a couple meetings going this weekend, but when I wasn't in a meeting, I was trying to tile a fireplace. Turned out to be a nightmare that tested my Christianity and uh, continues to test my Christianity. So they tell you putting a thousand subway tiles up on a fireplace is easy. They're lying. It's a lie, especially when they're inconsistent sizes, thicknesses and shapes and you're, it just doesn't work. Anyway, I won't get into that in more detail. It would be an ugly thing and take our entire podcast. That's actually very painful. My guess was going to be that you built you built some kind of furniture. So I was close, like you were doing something. But uh, I'm sorry to hear that about those. Those kind of tiles are really tricky, actually, when they're all different widths. And, and uh, yeah, it's actually for people who professionally tile, those tiles are a nightmare. So no wonder you nearly lost your salvation. But we're not talking about that kind of theology today. We're talking about immerse. So David, got a question for you. You know, as we talk about Immerse and why we do competency-based education in our churches and why and, and with the seminary, why we do this, um, back in 2011, it seemed like a really good idea. And why did you decide that this was a great direction for us to go as a group of churches? Well, lots of answers to that, really, Krista. The short answer is that it was a product-driven concept in the sense that my feeling, at least I was relatively new in this job at the time, is that we needed a better outcome in terms of training our pastors. And so that would have been based on two realities, a lot of other things as well, but two fundamental realities, an old one and a new one. The old one is a problem of ivory towers, which is you know not something new to any of us who are listening to this. 
where we spend a lot of our time in teaching pastors historically teaching theology and content in a traditional pipeline learning kind of model. And that sometimes, not always, depending on the teachers, of course, but sometimes out of touch with the world around us. So we still need that theology, but we needed somehow to find a way to develop pastors who had a greater church orientation so that the theology got applied to real church situations with real people, that ability to lead and that ability to work with people. So um, that was one of the reasons. The other was a new thing, which was that changes in technology, I think, allowed us to have some more freedom in style and in curriculum. So some of the things we had to teach in the past I'm not sure we had to continue to teach. So at risk of making every theology and seminary professor in the world mad at me, I'll use Greek as an example. So uh, most pastors need to know what part of speech the Greek word particularly was or phrase and the significance of that. So it's one thing to say it's a participle. It's another thing to say why that makes a difference in the passage you're looking at when you're doing exegesis. And so I spent in my learning experience many many hours and three years learning Greek and Hebrew and how to parse them do all those kinds of things fact of the matter is technology today can parse that word in you know under a second and the people who test that program know their Greek better than I'm ever going to know my Greek so there's really kind of pointless me arguing what they did in the parsing because we already know what every word in the New Testament is parsed as. So it just tells you, you don't need to spend your time on that. Equally true on word studies, whereas it used to spend maybe, I don't know, 20 hours to do a good word study on one word. A lot of the components of that are done technologically in a, in a second, again, in the program like Logos. So we had some time to work with to try and develop something different, to look a different way. And so those two things, ivory tower issues, technological change allowed us to look at a different way of teaching and helping people to learn their need to learn. But none of that is really gonna matter if in the end they couldn't disciple somebody or grow a leader. And so this was a way to go after that. Yeah, we talk a lot about developing a theologically astute leader. We put a lot of emphasis on that. But you know, Ruth, just uh, following up on what David talked about there, he talked about how technology has changed. I wonder if you want to give any comments in regard to what you've seen change and what those changes have meant for the Immerse program. Well, I'd agree that technology has been a big um, enabler for a program like this. Um, uh, it, actually, when we started the Immerse program back in, um, we had our first intake back in 2013, there was no learning management system on the, pro on the market that would do what we needed to do to make the programs work. And actually uh, Northwest, we custom built something to do it. Um, we're still, the marketplace is still catching up, but at least we had, we had something that would um, do a different kind of education and manage. What's really different about the way we manage our competency-based programs is that um, the traditional courses, course-based programs, you have a course and you have an instructor and students engage uh, with the instructor around the content. And there's a, there's a lot of examples of that online. People can work through online courses. Um, there's all kinds of them. What's different about Immerse is that the learning is done in community. It's not about just assigning a task and when you've completed, you're declared competent. It's about 
um, regular engagement between a mentor team, not just one instructor, but a mentor team and a student. And so creating a platform that would allow that approach, an integrated approach to the learning process um, is not, not common, but we've, we've been able to, to build that. So the, the technology has really yeah. helped enable this. So Kyle, you are an Immerse grad, one of our early grads, and I had the privilege of walking this road with you. So when you look back on this and you, we talk about the technology and Ruth hit on something really interesting when she said, it's really about building a community. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about what that community felt like for you in Princeton, being a part of something outside of what was happening in the church and how that impacted you in the church? Yeah, I mean, for me, Immerse made it possible to do the education that I wanted to do. Um, I, I wanted to be able to go work on my master's, but I also had a young family. You know, we had two kids when I started it, three by the time I finished it. And so it was, I wanted to work in the church, but I also wanted to be able to to continue to work in the church and not just, you know, volunteer or whatever. And so Immerse really plugged me into the, the long game of, of developing me, I guess, for this position that I'm in now. I didn't anticipate I was going there, but then having the on-site mentorship of my pastor then, Mel Reimer, was great. And then being able to plug into the larger learning community with the other students and, and be learning alongside of them and figuring it out together. I thought it was good. It was, yeah, it's great to be able to have mentors all over the place, right? You and David and Mel and all of them. <laughs> well, well, thank you for mentioning all of us. That's really, makes us all feel better. That's, well, that's really great to hear. I mean, your story is uh, really um, a, an incredible snapshot of what Immerse looks like. You entered a program didn't really know where it was headed as far as what your vocation, vocational position would be. And as things unfolded and you were, you stepped into the lead pastor role in your church uh, near the end of your time in Immerse. And so really saw that preparation period in the church for the church. So it's been, it's been a great journey for you, for sure. Mm -hmm. So Ruth, I got a question for you. Did you want to comment on that, Kyle? I didn't mean to cut you off there. Nope, that's great. Okay, so Ruth, um, just kind of coming back to you a little bit, in your experience with mastery-based educational processes, why do you think this approach to education is becoming standard practice across so many edu educational fields? And just a, a follow-up to that question, do you think this model will continue to be a serious competitor with traditional educational practices? To answer your first question, um, I started in training back in, when I was working in the high tech sector, and then I moved into trades and apprenticeship training. And I chose this approach because it was the one that made sense. We all know that talking about something doesn't necessarily mean that people are learning what you're saying. And just telling someone what to do doesn't mean that they can actually do it. Um, Competency-based education, education asks the question, what do you need to be able to do to be proficient in the role you're training for? And how will we know you can do it? And you design your 
so that all your education is designed not from a sum of the parts approach. Like David was saying, we used to design programs saying, well, you need some Greek and some Hebrew and you should take some worship and some Old Testament and New Testament. And you kind of add up the parts and assume that makes a competent pastor. Um, what competency-based education says takes more of a functional analysis approach to the learning and says, what are the skills that a pastor needs in the 21st century? And how will we know that a student has uh, acquired and mastered those skills so they can be successful? So it's a, a completely different approach. Um, and so in theological education, we're not the only ones who've adopted this approach. Um, it's been the approach for traits training for uh, thousands of years through the guilds um, in a more formal sense, um, certainly for the last 50 years in Canada. In the, uh, in the last 20, 30 years, um, areas like uh, medicine and nursing have really been starting to engage with it for the same reason that we're looking at it for pastoral training and for um, uh, church leadership training, because uh, they need to see outcomes, not just um, teach uh, information. Um, I think uh, whether if I, your second question, I think was if it'll be a serious competitor with traditional education. Um, you know, it's a long, slow process. One of the challenges um, to changing it is that a lot of the um, the faculty and the educators grew up in a traditional system and it worked for them. And so taking a different approach is uncomfortable and don't, they don't necessarily see the need for it. Um, at the same time, when we see the people who are employing uh, others, uh, the, the students who complete these programs, the people who are employing them are saying, no, that's what I want. Those are the kind of skills I want. Those are the kind of, of uh, of students we want and graduates we want, then things start to shift. But um, it's a long process, but um, but we're we're deeply engaged in it. That's for sure. Okay, I was just going to say, David. I was actually going to you know uh, punt a question to David in regard to the development of soft skills. But David, go ahead. Yeah, to some degree in the church world, uh, if we tie into what Ruth was saying, we're kind of behind. The system and so while it's hard to change traditionally the, the reality is and this was kind of the motivation between behind my doctoral dissertation thing at, at one point was looking at things like pepsicola gm large large companies in the world who are creating more competency-based educational systems within their own companies as a way of developing people so uh, while exactly what we're talking about wasn't there the concept was pretty wide in the business world. It just wasn't as wide in the educational or church world. And so it wasn't like we're coming completely out of left field when we started. Now that's good. And I, I'd ask you if you could kind of address, you know, what you and I have talked about so often and much of our focus out of the Fellowship Ministry Center has been on the soft skills that are needed in ministry. Do you want to talk a little bit about what we do with self-awareness and EQ stuff? Sure, we could talk about that all day long. Um, Actually, just did a sermon on that a little while ago. Uh, it's been part of my journey, probably as a pastor for a long time. Um, so I would have, well, anybody who knows me, that I'm basically a fairly direct speaking, uh, objectively minded person on most things. But I think 
that's true for me, it's probably true for a lot of others as well, that it's this long journey of realizing that the soft skills based in legitimate self-awareness and authenticity and those things change a team, they change the outcomes and they have hard outcomes, but in the sense that you achieve far more in a team when you can develop those soft skill things internally. And I think again, within business, that's becoming more prevalent as well. It isn't just for us, but uh, we internally within fellowship and within our own team have spent a lot of times talking a lot of time talking about self-awareness we do a retreat staff retreat once a year that's pretty much solely based on the concept of team and self-awareness and authenticity and vulnerability that kind of thing because we find the degree to which we do that for ourselves is the degree to which we can help churches and then we the then are rolling that out more now to churches and EQ boot camps, that kind of thing, saying, hey, what's true for us is true for you. The healthier we become, the better we understand ourselves, the better off we can lead. And that, of course, ties into a hard truth, uh, which is that our identity in Christ is the foundational part of that. But until we're self-aware enough to be able to even interact with that concept of identity in Christ, I think we've got a long way to go. So it, it's a big job. It's a lifetime pursuit but it's something I think is very fundamental to meaningful leadership. I just want to respond to what uh, David was saying. Um, in, in my work in competency-based training and education in the marketplace and in trades, the difficult thing has always been the soft skills. Um, how, do you, um, how do you set a standard and assess someone for humility or love or leadership? Um, we can teach them knowledge and we can teach them, um, we can watch them practice certain skills, but how do you actually assess for um, actual demonstration of humility? And when I heard that Northwest was doing this and Fellowship Pacific, I was so excited and I had to get involved because um, this has been the struggle in the marketplace of how do you do the, short, the uh, soft skills. I've been part of a number of leadership development programs over the years. And this has been where they always fall down. So what we're doing, um, honestly, in competency-based theological education is quite groundbreaking in the world. It's not just like it's not just in Canada or North America. We we are doing something that um, others have not been able to figure out how to do. And I think the the key is that team-based mentor approach. Yeah. And the fact that the programs are delivered in context. I think one of the things that you know we noticed in the church as I was going through this, or at least I've noticed it, is like with those soft skills, you're I mean, I was basically in like a, a three or four year candidacy process with the church, you know, without really knowing it. But I knew, and that sounds awful, but it wasn't as awful as it sounds because I was getting this education, but we were getting to know each other and we were learning to work together. And, you know, in terms of being able to pick up with the church and know the board, have a relationship with the board, have an understanding of where that church is going and and how how to kind of get into that is easier on me as a brand new pastor, but it's also easier on the church. You know, they get to see some of these things and be a part of that developmental process of, of going, 
we, we can grade you on whether you've passed the humility outcome or not yet, Kyle. Don't, don't you worry. <laughs> but I, I think it's great for, for the church and for us, you know, trying to, trying to get in and trying to um, break into, you know, for me, it was a new thing. Like, I, I didn't expect I was going to be the lead pastor when I graduated this thing. But it was, I think, really valuable from, from the church's perspective and from mine to be able to develop that relationship and to be able to speak to some of those areas that are, that are you don't know what you're getting when you, when you get just a grad from a school or whatever, but you do from here. Yeah, and there's something really incredible about a church being part of that journey with you where they invested in you. Uh, believed in you, helped you get to the finish line, and then can celebrate that with you. And yeah, these the soft skill piece, we could, yeah, like David said, we could talk about the soft skill piece for an hour or more, because there's so much to that. Um, Ruth, do you want to talk a little bit about the introduction of performance indicators that have now become part of how we assess mastery? in the Immerse program and why they're so important. I think for our listeners, it would be just interesting for them to know how it is that we go about grading this elusive mastery. Mm. So um, competency-based uh, curriculum is quite different from regular sort of traditional curriculum because it starts with the end in mind. So we have a, a hierarchy of standards that we set for each outcome. So we start with an outcome description, which is like big picture, what are we looking for here? And why are we looking for it? What is the result we're hoping to achieve by training the student in this area? The second thing we do is we break each of those outcome descriptions down into individual competencies. And these competencies are the things that we are the assessors are measuring and looking for. So they have to be um, measurable and observable and they have to be statements like the student will be able to, those kinds of things. Um, and then the third thing we do, because um, sometimes a competency, um, you can have uh, with a mentor team and you can have, people have different ideas of what that competency looks like and different standards. So you have to give some, standardized example of what does competency look like? If a person who has achieved this competency, what will we see in them or what kind of performance? So we call those the performance indicators. So when I'm helping develop curriculum with anyone, I will say to someone, um, um, what, would this, what would you see in someone that would make you think that they have achieved this competency or they've demonstrated mastery of this competency? And by having those, that, that, that three-layered approach to the standards, it means that um, you increase the reliability of assessment, so you get more consistency across assessors, and it, uh, and it also adds more rigor to the assessment because it introduces rubrics for consistency as well. Yeah, no, it's been really an interesting journey for me uh, in my role with Fellowship Pacific, having the privilege opportunity to manage what we do with Immerse in our churches and to work with Ruth and her team in developing what we want to see as performance indicators within the context of the Fellowship Pacific iteration of Immerse. What are we looking for? And it kind of goes back to assessing not just for what can you do, but how are you? That the whole soft skill piece 
is all integrated into what we do with this. So it's been a really uh, great opportunity over the last, I guess, a couple of years now, Ruth, we've been working on these performance indicators and in, in increasing our ability to assess well over, you know, a number of mentors coming together. Because Kyle, you can kind of remember you were in an early iteration of Immerse. And were there times when it felt a little bit subjective when we were grading? Yes. <laughs> Speak your mind, Kyle. Don't be afraid. Wonderfully subjective. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you know, and I was like, I was like a big uh, Kyle fan, you know, so I was like, oh, that's awesome, Kyle, way to go. And, but that's the, the beauty of the three mentors is we could push back and talk and figure things out. But having these performance indicators that we have now, Kyle, it makes it uh, more clear, which has been um, a great addition with the caveat that again, it's competency based. We are not looking to check boxes. So there's a real fine line that we have to, to walk on to make sure that we're not just going, oh, Kyle did this, Kyle did this, Kyle did this, so pass. It's, it's not like that. So it's been, uh, it's been good. It's been an education for all of our mentors and given us clarity around how this, how this can look moving forward. So it's been great. So Krista, I wanna add one thing there. I think that um, you brought up an important word there, subjectivity. When you come to measuring mastery of something like humility, um, that's, that's kind of a big uh, ask. And how could anyone actually, I mean, just the fact that you claim to have mastered it means you haven't. So um, what it has done though is removed, you, you can never fully define or quant, uh, quantify what mastery looks like, but you can give indicators. You can say, well, someone, we all know what someone who's humble looks like in this situation, in this situation. And it just reduces the amount of subjectivity. But it's really important what you said that it's not a checklist because uh, a student could, could check all the boxes, but the mentor team still feels like there's still something not quite there yet and we need to push into it further. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to add is when you, when you take this backwards design to curriculum design, you you declare the standards, you declare the behavior that you're looking for and what the evidence of it would be in the person. And that's when you decide what readings do they need and what assignments could we see from them that would help them develop these skills and abilities and character. And so it, very often in, in traditional education, um, professors will start from, well, I think you should read this book and you should do this assignment. This is completely backwards. It's we need to see that you can do this. And, and so it really changes the, um, changes the, out, uh, the outputs we're looking for from a student, the assignments. And uh, also lets us then be able to customize them very much for the context that the student's working in. Because it's about the outcome that we care about, not so much the exact process they use to get there. Yeah, that's really well put and so important. David. Yeah, it's also important, I think, when we're talking about this to compare it I don't mean this to be negative because it really depends so much on the on the teachers specifically. But uh, in a traditional seminary program, which I did certainly, uh, you get a very objective measure, but you're getting a very objective measure of a very small part of what you need. So if you're thinking of spiritual leaders within a church, uh, 
I could tell you exactly a score I got on telling you what scrolls were found in each of the Dead Sea caves. I could tell you exactly what my score was on parsing Greek. I could tell you exactly how well I can write an essay on the Trinity. But what you can't tell you is, can you lead anybody? Can you actually, you know, I can even write an essay on leadership, but can I lead anybody? Well, you don't know that. And in my world, which, so I was involved in a church as well, I would drop into school, take the class, leave again, come back, write exams, leave again. The people didn't really know me very well other than chose people I chose to get to know. So it's a very narrow slice of what it actually takes to succeed as a leader or as a pastor. It's a very objective measure, but it's an impoverished measure relative to what the outcome is we're looking for, for the job they're actually going to have to do. So that's, that's great, David. It kind of leads me to asking you, um, when you think about what we're doing with Immerse moving forward, what's the outcome that you want to see in our churches because of Immerse? Oh, super simple. I mean, the entire point for us is to fulfill our vision, which has a part which talks about accountability to the gospel. We believe ultimately we want our churches to be thriving because they're helping people to come to know Christ and be disciples who reproduce within their settings that we're all called to do that. And when our churches are doing that, um, we feel like there's been some success in our endeavor within the greater kingdom of God. But we don't get churches to do that without leaders who do that. And so for us, when we look at Immerse, we're wanting leaders who can reproduce, leaders who can not just proclaim the gospel, although they definitely need to be able to proclaim the gospel, but also live it out every day, disciple others, reproduce that, mentor others, reproduce that, and do that within their churches. When they do, and they become disciplers, they're going to get other disciples of Jesus who will do the same thing. Yeah, that's good. Kyle? Yeah, I think, you know, when I, when I think about how I want to teach other people in my church, and if I were to come through a very traditional program and I had, you know, all of these um, papers that I had written and research projects that I had done, and not to say that we weren't writing papers and reading books and things, but because there was so much project-based experiential education that was saying, here's what mastery looks like in this, as I'm trying to refine that and I'm having conversations. Now, as I go to training up these future leaders, I have a mentality that is, here's how we, we bring mastery out of some of these experiences that is building into the church, right? So it's, a, it's an easier model for me. If I wouldn't feel competent to go be a professor, but I could train a person to lead in the church afterwards. I feel very competent to go do something like that. And so I think it's helpful for me as a pastor to be able to build and develop other people because I have a sort of a, a mindset of here's how this happens through these experiences that I've gone through, right? And, and, and being able to look to other mentors for advice and things like that is great. And having the book list, you know, I, I refer to my book list from Immerse, but it's, it's these experiences that I fall back on and that are really, I think, training other people. Oh, you know, that's, uh, it's, that's really great to hear because ideally, you know, really what Kyle is telling us is that this model of education has, even the model itself has equipped him 
to replicate that kind of instruction to the people in his church. He's figured that out. That's what we want. It's this bigger, this holistic picture of how do we develop leaders who are in mission with the gospel. And uh, Kyle won't really know this. I haven't talked to him about this, but Ruth and I, um, and David is aware we're doing this. We've been working on developing a core curriculum of Immerse, the, the MDiv program, but extracting what the core is and developing a Master of Arts in Biblical Leadership. And Kyle, what this is going to mean for the local church is that people can enter this program that maybe want to get a master's degree uh, just as a volunteer in the church. Want, so it's going to be a, a, a microcosm of the MDiv. So rather than four years, it's two years. Uh, and we have taken the core curriculum, which could transfer into continuing to work off of that MABL, Master of Arts in Biblical Leadership, and get an MDiv, but at least you've got that core piece. Because we are seeing the need to develop biblically astute leaders within the context of the local church. And Ruth, do you want to talk a little bit about the MABL here before we move on? Uh, sure. You kind of introduced it beautifully there. I'm not sure... Um what more to add other than um, our, our focus on that is like you said, to um, broaden the availability and accessibility of competency-based theological education to uh, not just pastors uh, who are, or individuals who are training to become like senior pastors, but to individuals who just want to um, learn uh, more leadership skills and are taking on a lay leadership role. It's also not just for uh, leaders in the church, but also um, leaders in the marketplace and in community. If, if the style of leadership, sort of a biblically uh, informed, theologically sound and culturally engaged style of leadership is something you can use in wherever you are a leader and in your personal influence. So it's, uh, we're designing it for a much broader audience and able to engage in multiple contexts. Yeah, it's, uh, we're pretty excited about it. Uh, and David, you know, as we talk about this thing and we bring it to fruition, I've already had emails from people that are wanting to sign up to take it. But I'd like you to talk to us a little bit about uh, mentoring and discipleship and the impact that you think Immerse can have long term on how we approach this aspect of leadership development in our churches. We've kind of already touched a little bit on it. Is there anything else that you would want to uh, add to that? So I think Kyle already spoke to that a little bit, but my bias is heavily that within the church, true discipleship is always relationally based. And so we're not just after transference of knowledge, although we want that, but we want transference of character. And I don't think you develop character or leadership or faith without feeling some of the burn in them, by which I mean, you've got to get experience with real people in the real scenario where you run into the real problems that arise. And um, you have to actually build long-term relationships if you're gonna lead people to Jesus most of the time. You need to walk a life of discipleship and hopefully in Immerse, you get to do that with mentors who are going to be part of that, not just for the program, but for life. And certainly we've seen some of that within Immerse. You're going to get these long time connections. And so that when we get involved with somebody in the process of their learning as a mentor, I think we open a door for mentoring and interaction that transfers into your church world forever. So the 
the model we use to teach them becomes the model they can use within a church, which is relational, experiential based, which is what they really need to do as pastors anyway. It just helps to perpetuate the thing that we're after in discipleship. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Kyle, are you seeing that come to fruition in your church, like the structure of what you learned about mentoring and life-on-life relationship? Has that impacted how you lead and how people in your church interact with one another? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, we want to be not doing this as a, you know, set this guy up to go learn and then come back to us once he's done out of the books. But because all of it's done in context and and alongside of my own pastoral mentor at the time, um, I we're bringing that into into like every component of the learning, right? And so I still, you know, I phone up my pastor Mel. I phone him up all the time, <laughs> and I phone up Tim Paquette, and I phone up David, and I I just phone all kinds of people, and I have my own board here who are set up. They were part of overseeing some of that learning and and so i have people that i can turn to um, in order to keep learning keep asking questions and you know i don't come to this having you know got my mdiv or whatever and go now i know everything and whatever but certainly like having finished that program i think it gave it gave the board gave the church the confidence uh to to take those next steps into leadership inside of the church and that whole model has become something that we've wanted to replicate and so we value being able to train future leaders and so we've you know we're bringing interns in all the time ideally they're doing the immerse program I haven't got any to bite on it yet but they're still learning nonetheless and we're doing experiential ed anyways right so just this idea of like wanting to keep building into other leaders has been you know, I don't know what it was like before I was at the church, but like I was a new position and the other youth intern before me was a new position. And so I think this started and Immerse kind of gave it a, a, a framework and, and it hasn't really stopped. We're not, we're not moving away from that by any means. That's awesome. It's really, it's really become part of the DNA of your church. Yeah. And that's, that's amazing. So we're getting, we're getting ready to close things off here, but David, I got a, a question for you. And that is, what would you say to a pastor who's considering the idea of inviting an aspiring leader to enter the Immerse program, whether it's the MDiv or this newly, uh, you know, this new MABL that we're going to be offering in September? What would you say to that pastor? Well, probably a few things. First, it's a really good idea. I think it goes to the fundamentals of what it means to be a church leader. We're equipping others. We're investing in leaders. We're multiplying ministry. And then I would say, and now you need to communicate that to your church board, that this, in fact, goes to the heart of what ministry leadership is, because it's not a way to get cheap labor. And your board needs to understand the goal is not that. The goal is actually fulfilling our ministry mandate, which includes this. So it's going to take time. It needs to be part of your, uh, whoever is the mentoring pastor, but if it's a lead pastor, that lead pastor's role, you need to assume he's going to spend time or he or she would spend time on this and that that's important. And that, so I think that's important. And the last thing I'd say, get the right person. Wrong person always kills you in this. So get the right person when you start. It's not just getting a body, it's getting the right body. 
Yeah, and we try and help our churches with that by doing an assessment every June with potential students and kind of poking them and interviewing them and putting them on the hot seat for a couple of days just to make sure that they're in the right program because Immerse is a fabulous program, but it isn't for everybody. And we want to help assess uh, people in their journey, uh, figure out where they're at in their call and help them help them make that decision as to whether or not this is going to be the place for them to thrive and grow in their leadership paradigm. So uh, we're excited about this MABL that we're going to be offering in September. It will run alongside what we do with the MDiv, and it will be based uh, on the paradigm of three mentors and will essentially uh, be a standalone program with the opportunity to expand and, and flow into the full master of divinity sh should someone get into it and choose to go further. But we are, we are on mission as a fellowship to develop leaders in the context of the local church. And to that end, we keep looking for ways that we can come alongside the local church and help them with this because we do want to see people on mission, serving Christ in their communities, sharing who Jesus is, seeing people come to know who Jesus is and growing in their understanding and uh, in, their, in their spiritual walk. So that is why we do Immerse in the first place. Other, if, we, if we weren't interested in that, we would just send them off to the ivory tower, but that is not what we're doing. So Thank you all for being here. We're not going to, we're not quite finished. We've, I've got a few rapid fire questions and we're starting with David. So David, what is the best leadership book that you think people should read in 2021? The Bible, obviously, Krista, yes, but yes. if they're going to go beyond that, I would say uh, Living Life Backwards. It's the most recent book that our, our staff read it just talks about mortality and god's control and you can't really live well until you come to grips with those that was such yes a very very powerful book um actually ruth you may recall one of our last meetings uh, a couple weeks ago i quoted from that book talking about how um you know we read how we read the scripture it's not how much we, how much we read or how often we read but the posture of going to the scripture with open heart, open hands to go, God, what are you going to teach me today? Yeah, very powerful book. Uh, so good answer, David. You you pass, you pass. Ruth, Ruth, what is, you're the jazz singer, you're the blues singer. So what is your top five playlist for your life? I'll tell you my top five artists and their playlists. Uh, John Cleary, Etta James, Gregory Porter, Take six, and uh, it's always wise to go back to the queen, Aretha Franklin. Well, we knew I knew she would bring something super interesting to the table on this because of her her uh, musical prowess. So that's very cool, very cool. We may have to go and take a listen to some of that. Kyle, what's the best food you have ever eaten? Okay, so you've asked our esteemed leader about leadership. You've asked Ruth, the blues singer, about blues. And I'm a good eater, so I'm gonna go with uh, <laughs> Luis's in Guatemala. There was a, a little a little side alley shop he had set up. He served burritos out of there, and not only were they the best burritos that I've ever eaten, but they were they were top of the list for food. Unless, of course, I'm 
considering you know the food I've eaten at your house, Krista, and the meals we've had. Oh, prepared. good answer. That's an immersive like graduate not, right there. That's true. <laughs> soft skills, self-awareness, knows oh, you're on it. Kyle, what do you love to do with your family? We are loving reading out loud right now. We have been, uh, we read through, we finished The Wing Feather Saga by Andrew Peterson. Have you guys heard of that book? No. It's good. You got it. Well, you might not be interested in it because you're, you know, all over eight or 10 years old, but it's really, really good. Good fiction and it's all wonderful. So that's what we do. We just read out loud. We have four books, like thousands of pages that we've, we've gotten through. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, that is a fabulous thing to do. So Ruth, what is your favorite leadership quote and why? My favorite leadership quote is when God was instructing Joshua how to take over from Moses. And he said, I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9. It's my favorite leadership quote because um, you can practice that in your personal leadership, in your personal example in life, whether you're leading a small group, whether you're leading a family, or whether you've just become interim president of a seminary. <laughs> awesome. That's good. That's good. That's good. David, wrapping this thing up, what is the leadership lesson that you have had to keep learning, and why do you need to keep learning it? Um. I guess it would be that being a leader with the character that Jesus demands isn't a way to get a claim. It isn't a way to be a hero. It's rather a cost that has to be continually paid. It never gets cheap. And I have to keep learning it because when I get tired or I get tired in leading, I don't always want to keep doing it. And so you have to fight this internal fight to make the right decisions. And then you have to do the even harder thing of examining yourself to be sure that you're doing it for the right reasons and with the right heart before God. And so it, uh, there's always a thousand temptations to not do that or to not pay the price. And I just have to keep learning it over and over and over and over because I'd rather not learn it. Yeah, I know that's good. Good reminder to all of us. Remember my dad telling me the story years ago. Uh, it was kind of his little joke. He'd say there was a young man and he was still living at home and his mom came into his room one morning and said, you got to get up. You got to get up and get going. I just don't want to do it. I don't want to get up. I'm just sick and tired of getting out of this bed, putting one foot in front of the other. I don't want to get up. I'm, I, I, I just, and she says, you got to get up. She says, you got to go to church. It's church. I don't want to go. She says, but you're the pastor. You have to go. And uh, oftentimes I've, I've thought about that in the context of ministry. And I think as late as last week, uh, David and I were talking about just the where, where we're at in our culture. And I think I said something really profound, like there's days I just think I want to stay home and bake cookies because it's too hard. And we are called to carry on and really at the bottom, at the, at, at, at the, at the foundational level of why we've had this discussion today, why we talk about Immerse, why we push forward is that we want to see leaders on mission in community together, accountable to each other, going no matter how hard it gets, I've, I've, I'm going to carry on with what God has called me to do. We are not going to give up. 
that is the bottom line. So David, great way to, to end us off. I want to thank each of you for being here with us today as we have talked about where we're going with Immerse, why it's so important in this exciting new MABL. If any of our listeners want more information about this, they can contact me, Krista, at febpacific.ca. Be happy to give you more information. And if this is something God's calling you to, we would welcome your application. Applications will be available probably within the next month or so, but give me uh, an email. So thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to learn more about Immerse, whether the MDiv program or the brand new Master of Arts in Biblical Leadership, check out the links in our show notes. And to find out more about the resources that are available to you through our Fellowship Pacific team and to get in contact with us, visit our website at www.fedpacific.ca.